let's look at Ephesians chapter 5 to begin with. Ephesians 5, we've got a few different passages we're going to look at, but uh, 5 verse 18 through 20. And uh, the, the title of the message or the study is Paul's Thanksgiving Testimony. Paul's Thanksgiving Testimony. I think we glean a lot from the Apostle Paul and his life, and, and uh, we, we can see great application for our own selves. And I, I want to start here in Ephesians 5, 18 through 20. Notice that he's writing to the church in Ephesus, which you're well aware of. We finished this up early this year. Uh, but verse 18, he says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, as you read throughout Paul's letters that he wrote, you'll find a consistent reminder that he brings up. It's a reminder that he practices. It's a reminder that he wants Christians to practice, and that is to give thanks and to be thankful. Uh, in the Christian life. Now, a thankful heart, I think, is a wonderful trait. It's a wonderful witness, and it is a wonderful attitude and mindset to have. You see, when a person has a thankful heart, they recognize where all their blessings are coming from, and they give thanks to the giver who is giving them all those provisions and all of those blessings. You know, David said in Psalm 116, 12, he asked the question, what shall I render? What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? You just think about all the benefits of God towards you and towards me and towards our church and towards your life and towards your family. What shall we render to him for all of his benefits towards us? Well, one thing that we can and must render towards him is thanks. It is thankfulness in our heart. Now, Paul, through the inspiration of God, he tells the Ephesians here in verse 20. This is where I want to focus on. He tells them to be giving thanks always for everything unto God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, with that one statement, you notice how deep and wide, deep and wide, thankfulness is to flow out of the Christian. You'll notice he says, giving thanks always. That shows us how often we ought to be thankful. But notice also he says, for everything. That shows us for what we should be thankful. And so what you know with this is that this is all intertwined in the context of what he just told them about being filled with the Spirit. He says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit or under His influence, under His control in your life. And so one of the outflows of a Christian who is filled with the Spirit is that of thankfulness. Being thankful is an evidence of walking in the Spirit as we ought to be walking in our Christian life. So when we think about Paul giving this command, since Paul gives this command to be filled with the Spirit and to be thankful, that's an outflow of that, Surely we would expect Paul to be living that out, right? If Paul here, I mean, he's an apostle of Christ, and if we were to think of someone who was filled with the Spirit, living and walking in the Spirit as he should, surely Paul would be that guy, right? So if Paul is one telling us to be filled and, and to be thankful in our life, surely we could see it in him. And that's what I want to point us to. I think we see it in him, and we have an example in him for our own selves. Notice with me just two things, all right? Two headings that will kind of summarize, I guess. The thankfulness that we see in Paul and the thankfulness that we should have in ourselves. Notice number one is that Paul was thankful for Christ. He was thankful for Christ. And that is the chief, uh, chief thing we should be thankful for, isn't it? It's Jesus. It's Christ. He, he is the foundation of all of our thankfulness. 
So I've, I've tried to break it down into three main things regarding him. Paul, firstly, was thankful for Christ pardoning him. Christ pardoning him is what made him thankful. Now, as you study the life of Paul, which we're all familiar, it's, undeni- it's undeniably evident that Christ changed his life dramatically and eternally. We remember who Paul was before he became a Christian. He was a very zealous, religious Pharisee. He thought he was serving God by persecuting Christians. He was blind in his sin, and in his zeal, he would persecute the church uh, in a great, deep way. And we remember that we remember how, how, uh, how really wicked Saul was, or Paul was. His previous name was Saul. Uh, we think about what happened with, with the early church after the resurrection of Jesus and how the Jews, they, their first martyr was a man named Stephen. They first killed, the first Christian martyr really after the resurrection is Stephen. And Stephen, we know, was a godly, faithful man. He preached a powerful sermon on Christ that no doubt Saul probably heard. I imagine that sermon probably struck in his heart. And he remembered things after his conversion of the things Stephen had told him. The seed was planted there in the heart of Saul. But when it came down to killing Stephen, we we read and see that he was there for that. Acts 7.58, they cast him out, talking about Stephen of the city, stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. So Saul's there observing this. He approves of this. He's, I guess, somewhat holding the garments of those who are picking up the stones. And, and so we see his entrapment here in this wickedness. And so from that day forward, Saul and his religious zeal persecuted the church. Acts 9, 1 through 2, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. You see, Saul's initiative here. It's his initiative. Give me permission. I'm going to go get these Christians. And we know the wonderful story or narrative of the account. Um, of how he was blinded on the road to Damascus by the very grace of Jesus. And Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you persecute. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks is what Jesus told him. But Saul was a vicious enemy of Christ. But he was changed by the grace of Christ on the road to Damascus. And so we read in, in his own testimony here in 1 Timothy 1. We'll go to 1 Timothy if you would. We'll look at a couple different passages in this one chapter. But 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 17, and notice Paul's testimony. He says, the saying, this, the saying is trustworthy, deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. Now, the verse could have ended there, but notice what he says at the end of this verse. He came to the world to save sinners, who I am the foremost. See, Saul, Paul views himself as the greatest of sinners. He doesn't take lightly who he was and what he did in his pre-Christian life. He understands even the nature of his flesh, but you look at what he says. He says, but I receive mercy, in verse 16, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who, were, who would believe, who to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal and visible, to the only God, be glory or honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You know what Paul's saying? I'm, I'm the foremost of sinners. But you know what? Christ displayed his perfect patience in saving me. 
And his perfect patience is an example for others he saved through history. He continues to save. Some of the most wicked men you could, you could imagine in history have been saved by the grace of Christ alone. And so Paul, he knew how great his sin was. He did not think it a little thing to be saved by the grace of Christ. He did not view his sin both past, present, and future, to be a little thing. He did not think Christ's sacrifice to be a little thing. His thanks for salvation was great because he knew his salvation was great in Christ. His sin was great, which it cost Christ. You see, awareness of his true sinfulness made him ever more thankful for the gift of salvation that he now had. And when we think about that for our own life, awareness of how great our sin is makes us ever more thankful for how great our salvation is, does it not? I mean, you think about our own life, because we really can only know the depth of sin in our own life, right? Paul knew it for him. You know it for you. I know it for me. And so we, we contrast our sin to what it cost Christ and see how great that gift really is. In context of that, 2 Corinthians 9.15, or in reflection of the cross of Christ, or the gift of salvation, Paul says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. It's, it's beyond what we can really express, the depth of what the gift is of salvation. So you consider yourself. Do you remember who you were before you met Christ? Do you recognize how much Christ has changed you from the day you met him? How much have we been forgiven of in Christ? You know, Jesus teaches that uh, to he who has been forgiven much loves much. You know, we, we, we realize how great it is that God's love has been bestowed upon us based on how great our sin was. See, each of us has been changed by Christ alone. We should never forget that. And if we're not careful, we can forget that. It's easy just to get into the routine of life and forget what it means to be saved on a daily basis. What it means to know Christ on a day-to-day -day basis. So, so don't let your salvation get stale and stagnant. Don't get so accustomed to the fact that you're saved that it's just you, you kind of lose the joy and vigor of what it is to actually be saved. Every day that you wake up, we ought to thank God that you are saved by the blood of Jesus. Because if everything in the world fails today, that, thing, that, that truth remains the same. That truth does not change. He has overcome death. He has paid for our sins with his blood. Paul said in reference to his victory for us in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, he says, thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You notice a reoccurring word Paul is using. What's the reoccurring word Paul is using in these verses? Thanks. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to him. You see, the gospel work of Christ is the foundation for all of our thankfulness. And so we look to the cross, we look to the empty tomb, and we behold the wonder of redemption accomplished and applied to you. John Newton rightly commented and quote saying this, May we sit at the foot of the cross and there learn what sin has done, what justice has done, and what love has done. Think of that in a very individual way. Thank the Lord for the sovereign grace that saved you. But not only that, Paul's also thankful not only for Christ pardoning him, he's thankful for Christ's plan for him. That has made him thankful. Christ's plan for him in his life. You see, Paul was more than just saved by Christ. He was made a servant of Christ. 
And, and, and so understand, Christ had a plan for him greater than he could ever imagine. He thought he was fulfilling God's plan through persecution, but he was actually doing the opposite. Christ's plan would make him an apostle, a missionary, to propagate the gospel to the world. And Paul is thankful for that. You see this in the same text we've been reading, 1 Timothy 1. Look at verse 12 now through, for, for, through verse 14. This connects into the verse we just read. But look at what Paul says here. He says, firstly, in verse 12, I thank him. Thank him. This is a constant thing in his heart. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, to beca- because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Appointing me to this service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. See, through this passage, Paul is thanking the Lord for both his call to service and his call to salvation because those are both of him. Paul knew that his calling was not of himself, it was of the Lord. As if it wasn't enough just to be saved by grace, he also understands the honor of what it is to serve God by grace. To be used in God's service for his eternal purposes is a greater endeavor than all the accomplishments that this world could offer us put together. But here's what we understand as a Christian, okay? You understand that service to Christ is not exclusive to the office of an apostle. It's not exclusive to the office of pastor or missionary or preacher or uh, someone who's got a position in the church. While God does choose certain men to serve him in specific capacities, you understand that God has called every Christian that he converts to his service. He's called to every single one of us in this room, every single one of us in Lee Creek, he has called us to be part of his purpose in this world. That's a privilege beyond what we recognize. It really is. You see, that's the reality. Every Christian is part of God's eternal plan in his kingdom and for his glory. So so take this in a very personal manner, a very personal way. You are a servant of Christ. Christ uses you in your life for his glory. And that applies to every aspect of life, not just worshiping in the church or passing out a gospel tract, or doing something among the church, right? Service to Christ extends to every avenue of the life of the Christian. Let me show you this. In Colossians chapter 3, Colossians 3, verse 23 through verse 24, look at this passage with me for a moment. Colossians 3, this is a great verse just to hone in on for the life of the Christian. And Notice what he says in verse 23 and verse 24. He says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Notice this last statement. You are serving who? The Lord Christ. He says you're serving the Lord Christ. But what context is he talking about here? He's not even talking about the context, say, of the local church as far as like doing this and that, this and that. The context flows from the home outwardly to every other aspect of life. So, So when you think about you as a servant of Christ, you serve the Lord Jesus by doing whatever it is that you do in life with your heart as to him and not unto men. 
So, so, so what's that mean? You're called to serve the Lord as a godly husband. You serve Christ in doing that. As a godly wife, you serve Christ in doing that. As a dad, a mom, or, or a church member, a neighbor, a worker, whatever it is. And so we as believers, we need to recognize how high and holy that privilege is that God uses us as part of his plan in his service. And we need to understand that that's a great privilege we have. Letter C, Christ's presence with him made him thankful. Christ's presence. You see, it's not, you understand, Paul, Paul was told in his calling to serve Christ that he would, he would endure suffering. I mean, he's told ahead of time. It's not something he figures out later. He's already told ahead of time, this is what's going to be part of your life. Acts 9, 16, I will show you, show him how great, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Doesn't that sound great, right? Doesn't that give you something to look forward to? You're going to suffer, Paul. Nobody wants that. But you understand that when it is for Christ's sake, suffering is indeed worth it. Because through all of his suffering, through every affliction, whether by way of persecution or various trials, there was a constant that remained with Paul. And that was the presence of Christ. The presence of Christ made him thankful. Think, consider this passage, 2 Timothy 4, 16-17. It says, At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. You understand that Paul's gone through things where there's nobody there standing with him. He's alone, basically. But not really alone. He says, nevertheless, the Lord stood with me. The Lord stood with me. Christian, isn't that cause for thankfulness? And when, you, when you're at maybe the lowest point of your life and you feel like you're alone from everybody else in the world, Christ's presence in you doesn't change. Christ's presence with you does not change. It's, so that applies to us, every believer. Our circumstances, our experiences, they don't change the presence of the Lord with his people. His presence with us, even in the midst of great affliction, is of greater worth than all that the world could possibly offer us. The persecuted Hebrew Christian, the author writes to them and says in Hebrews 13, 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never means never. Never means never. You think about even our trials. What is the purpose of our trials? They are to grow our faith, aren't they? They're called the trial of your faith. And so God uses those as a testimony of our faith and to grow our faith, and we can be thankful that Christ is ever present with us in the valley and on the mountaintop. The great shepherd psalm written by David, he said in Psalm 23, 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So you think about the difference that Christ makes in the life of Paul and the life of us. We have much to be thankful for just with Christ. But notice number two, and lastly, Paul was thankful for Christians. How many of us are thankful for Christians? I'm thankful for the family of God. Two, two quick things I want to bring out here. I want you to see, firstly, that the local churches were cherished by Paul. The local church. There, there's so much emphasis in the New Testament on the local church. That's something we receive repeatedly is the local church. You know, now, you notice that Paul lets them know that he's thankful for them. Let's read Romans 1, 8 through 10, just for a moment. 
First Romans 1, 8 through 10. Notice he says, first, I thank my God. There it is again. He's thankfulness. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Notice that Paul says I'm thankful for you church in Rome. They're in his heart. They're cherished by him. But in all his other letters of the churches, he says the same thing. The church to Corinth, he says, 1 Corinthians 1, 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. The church in Ephesus, Ephesians 1, 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. The church in Philippi, I thank my God in all my remembrance for you, church in Philippi. Colossae, we give thanks to God. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, church in Colossae. Then in Thessalonica, we give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Paul's got quite the lengthy prayer list, doesn't he? He's got a long list of churches that he cherishes, he loves, and he thanks God for each of these bodies of believers. He cherishes the church. He knows how important the church is to the glory of God. Ephesians 3.21, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. He loves and cherishes the church. And we think about ourselves. How many of us are thankful for the local church? How important is the church to us in our life? I can tell you my highlight of the week is being with the local church. The Lord's Day Sunday. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. It's better than football game, basketball game, anything else. I enjoy those things, but none of those things compare to the Lord's church. Nothing. How important is it to us in our life? How much do we cherish it? You think about your local church and think about us here at Lee Creek. It's the place where you come to fellowship with your family that you're going to spend eternity with. Your Christian family. It's the place where you come to feed on the word of God, where you come to worship the risen Savior and King, where you have people who care for you, who are praying for you, are with you through everything you're going through in your life. Think about how thankful we should be for the local church. We, we must thank God for it. But we also see letter B. He's also thankful for the individual saints. They were cherished by Paul. Individual saints were cherished by Paul. He's thankful for many Christians who worshipped and labored and were following the Lord with their heart. He encountered many Christians in his ministry, new ones he'd come across that he came to love and thank God for. We see just one testimony of this in Romans 16. Romans 16, if you look at verse 3 through verse 4, you'll see him mention specific names a lot through his writings. But here's one example. He says, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I do what? I give thanks. I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. I mean, these two people were important to Paul and important to the churches. You see how he's thankful for them. 2 Timothy 1.3, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. He's He's thankful for Timothy. 
thanking him for thanking the Lord for him. He wrote concerning Titus and the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 8:16, but thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. Many many other names Paul would bring before the throne of grace and mention them specifically to God and just thank God for them. Thank God for saving them, for using them, for their friendship, for their fellowship. We think about how thankful we are for the Christians that are in our life. Our church family that we have right here among us. He was thankful for these Christians who knew the Lord and were walking with the Lord and were growing in the Lord. And I can tell you as a pastor, that rejoices my heart every time I see you just walk through the door. (laughs) Just to walk through the door, to see you feeding on the Word of God. You're taking it in. You nod your head, and and you're not just here to be here, but I can tell that you really are worshiping. You really are loving the Lord. You really are taking in what God is giving through the Scriptures. I'm very thankful for that. So we come to the church ready to feed on the Word of God and receive a blessing, and uh, we come to fellowship with other Christians and enjoy edification among each other, and uh, that is one of the great privileges that we have in, in this in this free nation that we live in. And we ought to thank God for that also, individually. There are many Christians who don't have the great freedom and privilege that we have here today. They have to meet in a very secretive way. No doubt they're thankful for those times that they get to meet, and even in that fashion. But when we think about the privileges that we have as Christians, every detail of our life we've got to thank Him for. And so I think we glean some great things from the Apostle Paul. Uh, He's thankful for Christ. He's the foundation of all the thankfulness. He's thankful for Christians, the church, and the Christians he knew in his life. And I no doubt his thankfulness goes even deeper than that for all of the other little details that God worked out in his life. So that's a good challenge and encouragement, I think, for us just in the life of Paul. And may it spark us in our own thankfulness tonight as we contemplate those things.